Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Actually given up and was going to head um, east on my trip um, to New Mexico. And just as I had packed up the truck, I looked over and there was a ruddy duck sitting there and he was red. Sitting right there in the water, right right, 100 yards from my truck, um, so much so that he was so close. I grabbed my binoculars and my gun and just took off running. Um, I, I glassed him one more time and it sure, it was a red ruddy duck. I shot. He flipped over, belly up, set down my binoculars, ran down to the water's edge, picked him up, and I was in so awe that this actually happened. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the foul front. All right, welcome back to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, powered by the Waypoint Podcast Collective. This episode is brought to you by HTR Innovations, FreelanceHuntStats.com, DocsOutdoorSupplies.com, and Megan Lupian Photography. Now today on the show, we've got Reed Fitch, uh, self-described simply as a Midwest Michigan guy, Brought up on an inland lake, but I feel like you're going to find out that he's perhaps um, a bit more than that. And Reed's been chasing uh, the Waterfowl Grand Slam for a few years now, and he, he's four or five birds away from uh, reaching that goal. But more than that, he's got some great hunting stories, and he's a, a great guy that's just nuts about bird hunting. All right, well, how the heck are you, Reed? I'm uh, I'm doing all right. Um Got back from vacation, uh, my hunting trip about a week ago, and drove back to Michigan to have it completely be the tundra. Um, 
negative 25 degrees, three foot of snow, everything locked up up here. It's a little depressing, and uh, it's double depressing now that you can't hunt anything. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> the weather is always a, a little bit more tolerable uh, when you can, you know, go sit out in it for, you know, eight hours on end to try to shoot a bird. So. Absolutely. If you're out hunting, it's not near as bad. But when hunting's over and it really gets nasty, you just got to wait for spring. Spring can happen anytime. So now you're up in Michigan, right? Yep, Midwest Michigan. All right. You just got back from um, the south, uh, from, I guess from the south, right? Uh, yeah, it was about an 8,000, 8,500-mile, 8, several-week trip um, of southern United States, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas a couple times. I even ventured up into New York for a week. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. So yeah, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it that you do up there in Michigan? Um, I um, I work for a really nice hotel um, right off of Lake Michigan. I manage um, the hotel, and then we own a fine dining restaurant um, that's connected to it. And I bartend there, and it allows me to take a month off in January and chase the birds, chase yeah. the birds and the trophies. Yeah, the important stuff. So uh, how did you how did you get uh, how did you get started in hunting? You know, it was um, just luck have it that my I was born into a hunting family, and I was I remember I was six years old, and my parents brought me out for my first hunt. It was an evening hunt, and um, I watched both my parents shoot a couple ducks, and I uh, instantly fell in love. Um, the next week, I did a uh, a morning hunt with them, and I was hooked. I was hooked. Um, How old were you? I was six. six. I was years six years old. Jeez. I was six years old, and I remember um, it was kind of like my parents' little getaway, kind of like their secret. You know, they had three kids, and it was kind of their alone time. And uh, after they brought me out the first time, that was over. Um, <laughs> um, if I got wind they were going out hunting in the morning, I would wait for them to go to bed, and I would get completely dressed waiters overalls camo and all and i would fall asleep at the front door so there was no way for them to escape without them waking me up i had to go there was no option <laughs> that's dedication from an early age yeah it gets in the blood the younger you start the deeper it goes <laughs> so that was uh, about 30 years ago right yeah um so it was about 1986 1987 Okay, and then uh, one of the reasons, well, you know, uh, not one of the reasons, but I guess the initial reason that uh, I reached out to you is I heard that you were doing the uh, the North American Grand Slam, as it were. Was it 41, right? 41. 41. Um, I'm getting close. Um, growing up in Midwest Michigan, we pretty much just have mallards, wood ducks, golden eye, you know, occasional random ringneck or something. Um, and that's what I, be, you know, become accustomed to. That's just... Those are your your table fare. That's what you're going to – the majority of your bag will be for the season. And um, it wasn't until about five and a half years ago, five years ago, that I even knew about the slam. I just dreamt about shooting all these awesome, beautiful birds in faraway places and never knew that you could actually go get them. Yeah. I mean, you can actually travel and you can make it happen. Um, and only – for those of the listeners that don't know what we're talking about, uh, the 
you know, the Grand Slam is it's shooting, you know, all 41. Well, there's more species than that, as we'll we'll get to here shortly. But uh, shooting 41 um, species of uh, waterfowl that are you know recognized in North America, and it's kind of like a um, like a big old checklist, right? Absolutely, it's a checklist. Everyone that's a hunter, a waterfowl hunter, has seen the poster of all 41, and I think they've all marked off the birds that they've hit. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you've been a hunter more than one season, you've looked at the poster and you've glanced at it and you've seen all 41 birds. And at some point, whether you physically have done it with a red marker or a blue marker or a black marker, you know where you're at in the, in the scheme of things. I know. I should have taken a picture of my mind's out on my workbench right now. So It's, it, it's, it's quite a poster and um, – looking at it 41 species you think wow that's that's pretty big but then you really got to do the math and the homework and find out where where all these species are where they winter how you have to go about getting different licenses and guides and tracking them all down and actually knocking them off the list one at a time it's quite a venture so you said that you your uh your real quest for this started what about five years ago um, about five years ago, um, about six and a half years ago, I actually um, came down with cancer. Um, uh, I had chemo. I was right in the middle of chemo, and I was going through a different path in my life. Hunting was always a part of my life, but um, I was right in the middle of chemo, and um, things weren't looking good. And all I wanted to do was get past it so I could really focus on my true love, and that's waterfowl hunting. And... Um, God just let it happen. He let me beat it. And it was about five and a half, six years ago where I actually got to be healthy and start my dream. And that's knocking off the birds one at a time. Jeez, what a powerful. I didn't know that going into this. So. Yeah, it's not something I really talk about. But, yeah. you know, everything, everyone goes through different things in their lives and goes down different paths. And, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. And I'm, I believe that. And uh, I'm in a better place. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do and um, totally making it happen. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm really getting there. Yeah. How many, uh, how many ducks did you have? Or excuse me, not just ducks. Uh, how many off the list did you have when you said, hey, I'm going to do this 41, this slam? You know, um, I had about 17, um, 16 or 17 all off of one little tiny lake that I grew up hunting um, from the age of six until um, 29, 30 years of age. I'd gotten them all off of one lake. I was about 16 or 17. And when I decided, you know, I'm going to actually do this, God decided that he's going to make me healthy and I beat cancer. Um, I've managed to knock off all but five in the last five years. So it's it's been really awesome. Yeah. Um and so what, what birds do you have left right now? Right now, um, I have a, I have the sea ducks that really need, they're, they're, they're number one. Both the eiders, the king up in Alaska, mm-hmm. um, the, the common eider, um, both you can find on the east and west coast. And then the barrows and the harley, um, and I think swan's going to end up being last. Did you, so you said you've got the, uh, both the eiders and then... The Harlequin, and then you said the Swan? Swan and the Barrow's Goldeneye. Barrow's Goldeneye. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what a Barrow's Goldeneye is, so that's, <laughs> that tells you where I'm at. 
Well, I've only seen them on TV and in pictures myself. I've yet to actually put eyes on them. Um, is there a difference between a golden eye and a borrow's golden eye? There is. The common golden eye is okay, much, much whiter. Yeah. It has a green head and has a white dot on its face. And um, the borrow's golden eye has a lot more black to it. It has a purple head and a white crescent along the cheek. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Are you describing this without looking at a picture of it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's... Yes, I have I have the color schemes of all 41 birds fused in my brain from long ago. I can I could draw them out if I knew how to draw. But I can I can tell you what colors they are. I can tell you where the colors are. I wish I was an artist because I could totally do it. That is, you know, that's that's amazing. Um and uh I you know, I guess I imagine you spend a lot uh more time looking at this list of 41 birds and um you know, really trying to make sure that you're trained so you can pick them out because i mean when you go out there um you make these trips i guess you've only got real six and well in, in some cases eight shots uh at, at getting them right absolutely um it's when you dream about these birds coming in it's in your sleep you daydream about it and um when it actually happens you have to take a double take but you know that is the bird that you've traveled three thousand miles to get one shot at and it, your whole body shakes and quivers as he comes in and he comes in and he's locked up and you just can't whiff. You only have three shots to make it happen. You just can't whiff. You have to, you have to actually get him. So, uh, you know, talking a little bit about that, um, why don't you break down the process of, um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I saw a great picture um, of you shot a beautiful ruddy duck. Um, in, I think, New Mexico, right? Just recently? I actually, um, it was actually in the border of Arizona and California. Okay. In Arizona, actually. But it was New Mexico. I did hunt a few days later. But, yeah, um, I I don't even know what the odds are of a red ruddy. And <laughs> to even see one in season, it has to be. Yeah. The odds very, 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 very small. Well, um, yeah, what's the process that you go to? Okay, hey, I'm going after this bird right now and then uh like walk me through your process until that thing's mounted on your wall well um with the red ruddy honestly i was told at a very young age that i'd never see one i'd never see one you'd never harvest one they just you know it's the last bird of all the species and all the 41 species to actually get adult color um adult plumage, breeding plumage, they usually don't even color up until April, mid-April at times. And um, I, you know, I read up about it, and sure, you can't even hardly find pictures of red ruddy ducks, let alone, you know, hear stories of hunters actually finding one. And I actually was chasing down um, a bull canvas back. And um, we get them here in Michigan, but they tend to be gray, a little dusky in color, not really a wall-worthy bird at least it's really hard to get one i have i've yet to shoot one in michigan in 30 years so um i found a couple places that through friends and research where they travel in winter and um arizona happens to be one of those places and i had tried for three days to get a bull ruddy in my hands excuse me a bull can in my hands and it just it didn't happen i lost a couple um i had some long shots that i didn't risk taking and i would actually given up and was going to head um, east on my trip um, to New Mexico. And just as I had packed up the truck, I looked over, and there was a ruddy duck sitting there. 
and he was red and right I, sitting near sitting right there in the water right right a hundred yards from my truck a <laughs> hundred yards from my truck um so much so that he was so close i grabbed my binoculars and my gun and just took off running um i i glassed him one more time and it sure it was a red ruddy duck i shot he flipped over belly up Set down my binoculars, ran down to the water's edge, picked him up, and I was in so awe that this actually happened. Everyone told me it would never happen. I'd never see one. I had one in my hands. That I took some pictures. I wrapped him up carefully in plastic in a plastic bag, tucked him away in the cooler, and drove away and left my binoculars in the Arizona on the mountainside. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, I mean, small price, right? Small price for you know a red ruddy, a nice pair of Vortex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So um, when you go um, about you know picking a species on the list, uh, do you you know you do the internet research or you find out like what the where the best area is to get these things, and then how do you how do you narrow it down from there? Going from you know the plan stages to Getting out there and hunting. You know, um, I guess I'll have to take uh, the tree ducks of Florida as probably the best example of how you actually can um, make a plan happen. It's such a process. First, you have to find out where the you know the birds are, where they winter, where they are in the biggest numbers. Um, you talk with um, locals in the areas that those birds you know winter and and try to. Uh, get an idea of the best way to go about hunting them. Um, Florida is a little crazy because the best and easiest ways to hunt them, and it's almost an oxymoron because it's hard to actually target that bird in a special spot and then travel the distance to actually get one. Um, Florida has what they have, STAs. They're, um, they're, they're private auctioned lottery-style hunts and you have to put in for those hunts months in advance, and only a small number of people draw the hunt out of the lottery. And when you do draw and are able to hunt, then you set forth your 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 plan. You're booking your hotel rooms and your flights and renting cars and how are you going to travel with a gun and how much it's going to cost, and you come up with a budget plan. And then you actually have to go down there and execute it. You have to execute it. Um, depending on where I'm going and what birds I'm hunting, I, I've had locals. I've hunted with locals, or I've done it myself. Um, depending on you know exactly what I'm going for, thank goodness with Florida, I picked a local, and he showed me the ropes when I got down there. And I am grateful that he did, because I had no idea that I was dealing with alligators of those those sizes and that many numbers. Very, very scary thing. Yeah. Uh, not something I would ever look forward to. Um, so where where are all of your travels taken you? How many um, I've, I've done, let's see here, Florida, New York, twice, New Jersey. I was fortunate to hunt Atlantic City right off the hotel's. Um, uh, a thousand yards off of the hotels in Atlantic City. Um, I've done Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, Montana, 
California twice. Um, I have an annual trip I take every year to Texas, um, Nebraska. I've, I've traveled, I've been blessed to have experienced a lot of what the United States has to offer as far as waterfall hunting. There's still a few to go, though. <laughs> um, what's the best state? Just squash, <sighs> just squash it now. Squash the debate. You know, I'm going to go with New Mexico. Yeah, I, everybody calls me crazy, but that's uh, that's where that's where I got uh, my start off as well. And um, it's it's nuts down there. Um, you would never. I would say it's a. There's a lot of New Mexicans right now, probably cussing at us um, yep. as we say this. But it is a. It's an amazing uh, waterfowl destination. I almost wanted to keep it a secret, but you know what. Everyone's got to experience it once, to be honest with you. If you're a true waterfowl hunter and you want to experience birds of that many species and you just never know what bird's going to come in next. Oh, in it's, the it's desert, like the duck lottery in the desert. Desert ducks are, it's amazing, you know. They get down there and then there's no weather to push them out and any weather that they do get just swirls them around. And um, it's actually pretty interesting that um, while we were down there, there was very little competition so the birds weren't near as shy as they were in all the other states we had just hunted. They love. Did they love the mojos when you were there? Actually, they did. I um, <laughs> I am. I'm actually not one for mojos ever. Um, maybe the first week of season up here in Michigan for teal, a little a little action, mojo action in the decoys. Yeah. But I I just tend to not use them in general um and most of my hunts um i think it educates birds i think it flares birds um i just don't think they're necessary for most of the places that i hunt but we actually did reluctantly at first put a mojo out our first day there and it is magic it is absolute magic yeah those desert ducks um they they definitely like them they sure do i mean and what's crazy is, like you were just mentioning, it's it's like a lottery. You never know where it's going to come in. From wood ducks to canvasbacks, redheads, all three teal, Mexican mallard. You just don't know what bird is coming in next, and they do it dirty. Oh, they yeah. do it dirty. <laughs> you know, you just mentioned um, something I think that you and me have in common that I, I don't think a lot of uh, waterfowl hunters have in common, but we've both harvested uh, Mexican ducks. Um. And uh, they're not, it's not even on the 41. I, I've, been, I've looked through this list, I think, twice now. And uh, they do not have Mexican duck on the, the, li- the hit list here. They sure don't. Absolutely not. And it's crazy because I never ever thought that I would get a Mexican duck, let alone see one. And, you know, I've harvested, I've been fortunate enough to harvest a lot of black ducks. Um, up here in Michigan and New York, um, in my southern hunts in Florida and Texas, I've had my fair share of models come in. And when that Mexican mallard flew in with a bunch of mallards, there was no doubt in my mind I knew exactly what it was from 150 yards out. And um, I'm a pretty passive hunter. I usually, especially when I'm hunting with new new guys that haven't had a lot of experience getting a lot of species. Yeah. And I, sp- I spoke up for the first time on my trip. That bird is mine. I'm taking that bird, and I did. And I can't believe that I actually got to see one, let alone knock that off of my own personal list that's not even on the slam. It's not even on the slam. Yeah, and for those of you that you know, perhaps don't have never seen one on the wing or 
Um, you know, don't have Google open right in front of you. Uh, the, they look like a model duck, but there is their, their speculum has some white on it. Yep, they has a double bar speculum. They look like a model duck, but they're more the size of a black duck, but they're a little lighter, and they have a bright yellow bill that's unmistakable. Oh, super bright. And the one thing that I, as I close my eyes here and I try to you know, remember what it looks like is I can't remember how vividly um, those, the wings on the back, they're, they're just like a very rich yellow and brown um, to almost black um, in, in each feather. It's it's uh, actually pretty pretty amazing um, how yellow the the feathers get on the back there. The duck itself is quite a bit more vibrant than the model duck. Um, they call it down south dusky duck, and I guess that's for a reason. Just a little more dull coloring, maybe. Right. Where, they all look like hens. Mix, exactly. They all look like hens. It's and there's just a little bill coloring for a difference um, with the sexes down there and the model mallards, but the Mexican mallards. Very vivid colors, very, very two-tone bright with a bright yellow bill, bright speculum, great big, huge white bars on both the upper and lower wing. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you said uh, New Mexico is uh, your favorite so far. Um, you know, what are some of the unique experiences you've found yourself in the last uh, five, six years? If you just give me the highlights of your trips. Oh, unique experiences. Oh, there's so many. I, you know, every time I go out, I, I consider myself a pretty avid hunter. Um, hunting, I don't know, 89 of our 90-day season up here in Michigan. But uh, every time I go out, it's a learning experience. And just when I think I have learned and seen it all, something new happens. Or I'm. St- it's, it's always a learning experience. You just never know. Um very humbling experience hunting sea ducks for the first time up here on the Great Lakes, uh, old squaw hunting out of a layout boat. Um, something I never even knew existed when I was a kid. It was before they had internet, and I didn't even know what a layout boat was. But um, the old squaw are awesome, awesome little ducks. Little tuxedos, nice long tail, about the size of a buffalo head. And they make some weird quacking sounds. No, they're about oh. the size of a buffalo head? They're just yeah, in between, in between a buffalo head and a bluebill. Um, I guess I thought all big. the sea ducks were big. No, uh, that's uh, the old squaw is probably the exception to the rule with that. They're just this tiny little duck, and um, they're dressed to impress, black and white with a really long tail, tuxedo. I call them tuxedo divers, and um, they winter on the well. They winter all along the coast, but a, a large number of them winter on the Great Lakes here, and it makes for some excellent shooting. Very humble shooting, I'll tell you. But, yeah. um, yeah, you, um, you're sitting in two, three-foot waves in a five-foot-long layout boat that only sticks five inches above the water, and you never thought in all the shootings that you do and all the birds that you knock down that 10 foot in front of you, you'd be just spraying water and missing ducks. But it's, it makes for some pretty humble shooting. The first time um, someone really accurately described what it was like to hunt out of a layout blind was when I was talking to Tony Homer here on the podcast, and he's, um, you know, he runs a little boat company there that, uh, um, and uh, I couldn't believe what goes into that, um, and I think I'm going to try to get on one next year for sure, uh, just because it sounds terrifying. <laughs> it it's you're in deep water and it's cold water and you're in a little boat. 
it's just you and Mother Nature and what you can make of it, to be honest with you. It's it's very humbling very quick. I, I brought 11 friends out to hunt um, with me, old squaw hunting. There's a, I have a friend that does a guide service out here in um, the Great Lakes. Um, Patrick Cummings is his name. He's I highly recommend him to everyone. Google him, Facebook him, check out his pictures and videos. He's an excellent guide, one of the best I've ever had. And he wants everyone to have a good time and everyone to get their wall bird. And uh, he warned me straight up, how many boxes of shells do you have on you? And I said, well, one. He's like, put three more in your pockets. And I said, well, I'm not that bad of a shot. He goes, I'm not saying you are. Trust me. <laughs> Go out there with a box in each pocket. And I'm... <laughs> He was on a radio, and he would, after a box and a half of not even getting a bird, not even hitting a bird, and they're all within 20 yards, 10 wow. yards. He is making fun of me. Aren't you glad that you put a couple more boxes in? He was absolutely right. Um, I ended up learning how to connect and how to sit up and the whole method of it, the whole how you have to lead them. And um, I ended up connecting, and then I ended up blooming it out, which was awesome. But it, I think it's something that every waterfowler should at least experience once. It's unlike any of the field hunting. It's unlike any of the other water hunting. It's different than timber hunting. It's just open water. It's it's pretty pure. So now you've done you know marsh hunting. You've done um, you know open water hunting, and you've done timber hunting. Um, I, I imagine. I think. I assume you've done timber hunting. Um, I have. Yep. <laughs> down in uh, Florida, uh, at least. And um, so, you know, what are the the principal when you go into an area? Um, you know, what's the? How do you go about preparing yourself when it comes to your pack out, um, like your gun selection or your shot selection? Do any of these things change for you? Ah. <sighs> Slightly. Um, I always stick with the same guns. Um, I love my 12-gauge, although I've learned that I need to be a little more open to using smaller um, smaller guns and smaller spaces. You just tend to swing better. Um, I like I like to use as small a shot as I can. It's effectively going to drop a bird and kill it without blowing it up because I do enjoy um, these trophies on my wall when I get them, and it's Nothing makes you cringe more than traveling two, three thousand miles and waiting five years to drop a bird. To drop a bird only not to be able to have it be put on the wall. <laughs> right. And now you put all of your birds on the wall? Uh, all the, nah. all the, the trophy ones? I guess the like every time you get a new species? or I'm going to go with the yes. Um, there's a few that I haven't. Um, the... The particular bird that I had harvested wasn't of good enough condition. And then there's a couple of them where I like the cinnamon teal. If you get a full plumage cinnamon teal and you're from the Midwest, it pretty much it doesn't matter how many of them you get. Every one you get is going to end up on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of cinnamon teal, you and I have a common friend in uh, Tony White who, um, you know, I've had on the podcast. And he's actually the one that introduced me to you. Um, saying, hey, you should, you should check this guy out. He's got an interesting story. And um, sure enough, uh, my one of my first hunts or my first seasons down in uh, New Mexico and Texas, I shot a cinnamon teal and uh, Tony was, I, I don't know if it was uh, angry or happy or sad. I don't know what it was, but he was pretty frustrated. But 
Well, he was with you when he shot his cinnamon, right? Yeah, um, Tony is about the most awesome hunter and friend you could possibly get. He wants success for yourself, but he also wants to put his hands on a trophy eventually. And when you happen to get one before him, you can just see his eyes. They light up. He has a, a grin that just goes on for days. But you can definitely tell he wants a bird of his own. And he will not stop until it happens. Um, I had gone out... I think it was the year after you had gotten yours, and I had gone out and gotten a couple, and uh, we made it happen together um, as friends, and it was awesome. He jumped up and down when he got his first bird. Yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, pretty. I was pretty happy when he he finally texted me that because I had actually harvested two um, before he went out and got his. Um, <laughs> Which I'm sure was much to his chagrin, but yeah, he got his, and I tell you what, that was it was a really awesome feeling because that morning we both happened to get one, and uh, we we have a picture together side by side with our with our stud trophy sinnies, and uh, it was an awesome feat, and you know, especially from the Midwest when you know you never saw one, you you have to look at pictures to even know exactly what they look like and their color scheme and. You know, you travel and you just don't know if it's going to happen. And when it does, I every time it happens when I knock a bird off the list and get a wall bird, it's it just makes it all worthwhile and you realize why you're doing what you're doing, and it just justifies it all. Now, um, you've got you said you've got the harlequin uh, duck, right? That you have not yet harvested. Not yet, not yet. I tell you what, though, I might have to save the best for last. He's he's the stud all the way around. <laughs> So I, from, you know, the little bit that I can remember about the Harlequin, it's a pretty interesting duck, um, especially its habitat and its migration cycles and uh, all that. Uh, you know, how do you go about targeting one of those guys? You know, I'm I'm just doing my homework with them. Um, I, of all the hunting I've done, the sea duck hunting I'm the least familiar with. Um, I'm aware that, you know, on the East Coast they do get them, but you're not allowed to shoot them. Um, yeah. They're protected on the New England coast. Um, I, I I hear there's restrictions on the West Coast. Um, I have some friends that have been lucky enough to harvest them off the Puget Sound in Washington. Um but I have friends that go up to Alaska, and they they get a limit of harlequin, and there's almost no comparison, you know, to looking at a bag of all these beautiful blue ducks, um, dots and lines, dots and lines, blue ducks. I mean, they're yep. just gorgeous ducks. Um, I hear that they, um, they uh, what, uh, what's the best way to say that they um, decoy like bufflehead. Um, I hear their intelligence isn't. That weary like a golden eye. Um, I've yet to. I, I'm going to have to experience for myself, and I, once I do, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, what was the? You know, what's one of the more peskier? You know, ones that you remember being like, wow, that was a very difficult bird to actually knock off, or maybe one of the more frustrating ones. Mm. You know, um, I'm going to go with some of the puddle ducks. Um, not so much knocking them off the list, but hunting them in general. Um, the black duck up here um, in Michigan and on the East Coast and the pintail. 
Uh, the weariest ducks, they, um, I don't know if they just, they learn really quickly what a bad spread looks like, or <laughs> they just get educated really, really fast in the season. Um, when they do decoy, there's nothing like it, but getting them to circle and circle and circle 10, 11, 12 times, and they look like they're going to do it, and just as they come in, nope, they change their mind, and they go somewhere else and land 200 yards from you and stare at you. I mean, they're just very frustrating, very, very frustrating. Yeah, I've never seen a black duck, obviously. Um, I, I'm, tr- I'm tracking their their range is pretty limited, um, but uh, like you were saying, you said they, what's the issue? They, they just come in, and they circle and circle and circle, um, kind of like pintails do for us at least down here yeah they just they're very very picky and fickle um unless they're in a big flight of mallards um that you know are just going to commit and do it right away Mm -hmm. um they can they can just circle all day long and then just something's not 100 percent right and never mind we're gonna just go over here and um what's the trick there then you know um hunting them like i hunt them i hunt I've learned that uh, black ducks really, they're very weary and they're not the most social birds. They like small, tight water. And, um, you know, you can hide a little better on small, tight water and it can be a little more forgiving as opposed to hunting them on great big open water. Um, it just, I've, I've had more luck jumping them and uh, hunting them on little creeks and ponds. You know, you have to walk a half mile in and do the work to even get back there than uh, actually trying to deal with them on, you know, big water that's, you know, hunted by the public. Right. Right. Now, tell me, I'm looking at two puddle ducks on here that I didn't, I guess I didn't necessarily know they were puddle ducks. I didn't really know that, uh, you know, uh, the black-bellied whistling duck and the full-viewist whistling duck. Yeah, um, they're... And the tree duck section of, if I be, if if I remember correctly, um, they like water just like they like like they like land. I was, you know, I'd never seen one before in my whole life until I went down to Florida and um, had connected with a guy down there who had it all set up for me and you know uh, managed to win an STA lottery hunt. Um, they're the craziest ducks. They have the weirdest calls you ever could imagine. They're comical. Um, they're very, very social birds. They fly in big flights, you know, one, one, two, three, four, five packs, all the way up to packs of a hundred. It's, they're, they're kind of clowns when they fly. Um, I have no idea how anyone manages to get these birds to come into the decoys and actually land. Um, I, I did more of a, what's the best way to describe that? Um, a stock? No, it was, uh, my mind just drew a blank, um, pass by, they come oh, in, pass shooting, pass shooting, yes, pass shooting at 15, 20 yards, and, um, that's how we managed, how I managed to get a, a nice, uh, limit of, of the tree ducks, um, but again, it's not like any other bird I had ever hunted before, so even their wing beat was really hard to, it took me a couple shots to get, to connect with a tree duck not that they're hard to shoot just completely different than a traditional duck right right well what other uh you know what other kind of experiences or stories stick out in your mind um from the last couple years um do your homework when you're gonna go hunt 
and you don't want to feel stupid, don't be stupid. Go out there and do your homework. Put in the scouting time. Um, let's see here. I hunt wood ducks. That's pre- predominantly my bag here in Michigan uh, most of the season. Right. And, um, I, I have some honey holes that I've been able to limit out on Drake wood ducks in five minutes myself and a buddy or, you know, my, my dad growing up, the two of us could limit out on Drake wood ducks in five, 10 minutes without a problem. And, um, it was a really weird year and we had high waters and you go out there expecting to do no work. And for the first time I had mud in my face, didn't even see a duck. I can't tell you how many times in all of my honey holes, put in your work, do your work, scout, scout, scout. Yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit yesterday, um, you know, about scouting and putting in the glass time and just really how important it is. Um, now, when you're hunting out of state, um, you know, I know what it's like because I I seem like I move every two years. Um, but the amount of, uh, I imagine you do quite a bit of internet scouting and then what I would call... Um, you know, people scouting or phone scouting and, you know, talking to the right people. Um, I feel like that is the best way to be successful when you're coming into, like, a, a new area. Absolutely, absolutely. Internet scouting, communicating with other hunters um, in that area for those specific ducks. Find out if the birds are down yet. Um, picking their brain, uh, maybe even joining up with them on the hunt, um, exchanging a hunt. Um, I, I like to exchange hunts with uh, fellows from the other side of the country, Um coming up to Michigan and I'll do my best to put you on a black duck and, you know, trade them a species that I'll never, you know, never be able to get here in Michigan. Learn and pick their brain because, you know, all birds act differently and go, you know, they, they all want food and they, they, you know, they need to roost at night, but the behavior and how you're going to find them and go about getting them is completely different in each part of the country. And just, you know, picking their brain and trying it out, um, one morning, and if it works, awesome. You, you, the moment you're done hunting, if you're going to hunt in that same area, scout, scout, scout. Spend the rest of the afternoon scouting for the next morning. Right, right. That can be pretty interesting, um, you know, <laughs> scouting a new area. Um, and I know that whenever I do it, I always use like Onyx or something of, you know, similar of that nature. Um, and then going in prepared so that you're not searching for, you know, public land. Um, while you're driving around. Absolutely. It's really nice to have a buddy in the truck with you or a couple of them. They're all multitasking, trying to find out where we can go, um, where's public, you know, who's property owners to knock on doors. It's, it can be quite a process. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of public hunting. Um, a lot of states have different rules and regulations um, with what you can do and how far you have to be away from homes and occupied dwellings and, you know, box lands there's there's a lot to it but i'm really i'm a big fan of public hunting yeah um i i am too uh i you know i do my best to try to get uh you know my share of permission so that i can alleviate some of the pressure off the the public lands but there's nothing quite like going out into the you know trying to beat everybody out into the marsh and um getting it done out there so yeah i I was raised right um you know getting up early way before everyone else and claiming your spot. That was back in the in the days where I'm going to have common courtesy. They saw your flashlight up. You either go home and go to bed or you find a different spot. Um, now it seems like everyone wants to squeeze in at 40, 50, 60. Oh, I'm just squeezing in here. Yeah, that's not, that's not what I'm about. 
I was raised a little differently than that. Right. That's that's kind of how I am. <laughs> I I either you're either going to come hunt with me or um like hopefully you're going to be hunting, you know, 4 or 500 yards from me. Yep. So. Yep. There's doesn't there's a lot of land out there and if you get out there and do your homework and you get out there first, I'm out there by 2 a.m. sometimes and waiting, you know, before you can, some states, before, you can't even set up your decoys until 3 a.m. I'm sitting there waiting for that minute so I can put my decoys down and claim my spot. But I'm, Yeah. It's a huge fan of public. It's nice, though, when you go to a spot that, you know, you have the sole permission to hunt. It's like, it's like money. You know, it's, it's never, you know, virgin land. It's never been touched. It's exactly. nice when you don't have to worry about that, too. Exactly exactly that's there's nothing like you know knowing that nobody's gonna come roll up on you until they do of course which happens until they do which happens sometimes on private land for sure for sure you know you're just talking land oh for sure feel i'm just saying it can happen when you least expect it oh yeah absolutely absolutely um and then so what were you you know we were just talking a little bit about some strange laws uh, are there any laws that stick out um, through, through your travels that you're like, really? I can't believe that. Yeah, there's a, a couple different places in Texas. Texas, they have weird laws. Um, make sure you read up when you hunt a new place. Um, you just never know what may seem like common sense um, at home is absolute no-no in another spot, another state. Um, right. I was hunting a body of water in Texas, and I had to read it three or four or five and maybe even six times to make sure I got the wording down. It stated that you could not hunt further than 50 feet from shoreline. And I, I couldn't wrap my brain around what that actually meant, but it, it's, it was exactly like it stated. They did not want you to put your boat and your decoys further out in the water than 50 feet. Now, in Michigan, it's you're not allowed to hunt 450 feet from an occupied dwelling. So basically, it's it's telling you to get away from the shoreline. It's getting away from development. And it just right. seems like an oxymoron. Yeah, that's like in Kansas here. I was looking. I, I kept looking for that because um, I know that in Texas or New Mexico, I can't remember which one it was, but it's, you know, 150 yards from an occupied dwelling. And I couldn't find the one for Texas um, at all, and so I ended up finally calling, um, and they said, "No, it's actually a uh, you know a criminal statute, not a um, you know a, a hunting statute that you can't discharge a firearm." So even though it was an applicable law, which you you know think that would be addressed in the uh, hunting regulations, uh, it was actually just the regular state laws. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you're doing your homework. You don't want to just go out there and shoot your gun and hope that you're doing all right because uh, it's not worked out for some people that I know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so what kind of, you know, speaking of guns, what kind of gun do you shoot? You know, um, I grew up with a Mossberg, actually, a semi-auto, um, just a, a cheapy Mossberg. And I kid you not, I've shot more birds with that gun than I've, I'll ever kill again. And I upgraded... A year and a half ago to the Benelli SB2, and I actually have had nothing but problems with that one. And then this year I got the Beretta A400, and I've had nothing problems with that as well. So I think I'm going to have to rethink my gun 
for the next season. Yeah. I might have to go back to my roots and go back to a Mossberg, to be honest with you. I'm not even sure. I've just had so many problems. Yeah. I, I just stick with the pump. I have a Browning BPS that I always shoot, and there's no reason to for me to change it. It just does just fine with me. So If it works for you, go with it. I t- kid you not, I tried to get all fancy, and it's, you know, the, I don't know if it's the quality of guns they're making nowadays or what the problem is, but bulge barrels and you name it, mechanical problems, it's been one problem after another. Yeah, well, what kind of, you know, what shells do you shoot then normally? Um, I really like heavy shot. Um, it just seems to do the job, but not overdo the job. It, birds are dead, but they're not, you know, ripped open, and, and uh, you, know, you can salvage the meat, you can put birds on the wall. It does its job. You're not going to, I haven't had very little problems with cripples with the heavy shot. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, what other gear um, do you take out there that you just find absolutely essential? I mean, you know, what it, what are you sporting out there? My favorite is what I left in um, Arizona, um, Vortex binoculars. Having a good set of binoculars, being able to check out the birds at 120 yards, you know, sitting on the water, check out why they're out there, um, checking out, you know, other hunters. Um, the wind direction, um, finding out why birds are swinging around and flaring and where they're going. Binoculars are my, my go-to. My gun and my binoculars and my license. I can, I can, I can do a hunt with just those three things. Um, a good set of waders um, seems to be what I'm lacking most of the time. I went through five <laughs> sets of waders this season alone. Five sets. Oh, man. I was just yeah. about to ask you, you know, what waders you sport, but I guess I won't now. You know, um, I like a nice uh, neoprene set for the colder conditions, and um, I I really, really enjoy being able to be um, maneuverable and being able to walk around in the, the thin layers or the thin waders, but yeah. I just seem to pop and hole them every hunt. Yeah, I, you know, I was swearing by breathables, um, and I still do. I, I, you know, I really like breathable waders. Uh, just for the versatility that they give you and the layering you can do under uh, under them, but I went and borrowed my dad's neoprenes like halfway through the season because I'd blown mine out or ripped a seam out in the middle of them, and uh, man, it was it was nice. I was like, yeah, this is what feeling warm is. So that's absolutely uh... <laughs> you won't be you won't be. It's a whole world of difference having neoprene on, especially if you're talking um, sub zero or even freezing conditions. Yeah. It's, it's a big difference. I um I really like Sitka gear. I really do. Um, I have a few pieces that you know I use regularly, and they're they're awesome. I just haven't um bit the bullet yet and just got the breathable waders. But I might have to hold off a couple of years until they really work out their systems because I have three or four buddies that have gotten them, and two or three of them had problems this year already with them. You know, bad seams and holes already the first year. That's, that's yeah. just a lot of money. That's a lot of money to throw down on waders when I go through them like I do. I think, uh, you know, I think it was my grandpa that once told me, he said, you know, even the best, most uh, expensive ship in the world, the most highly technological thing, still has a bilge pump. Yep. Yep. That's <laughs> absolutely you, true. You can't keep water out of anything. Sometimes, you know, um, just like you were saying with your pump, you know, going with what works sometimes is the best way to go, and that's not always the most expensive gear. Yeah, yeah. I know for me, um, gosh, if I, you know, if I pulled the trigger on some really, really expensive waders like that, 
Um, it would definitely change how I, you know, you, you see me, Bo Duke, you know, um, sliding over logs right now in my, you know, $80 waders that I have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that only lasts you half a season, so. Absolutely. Between barbed wire, nails, um, uh, getting in and out of boats with sharp edges, uh, cold conditions, there's there's a lot of variables with those thin waders. Yeah. I think one of my buddies, uh, you know, I take very good care of my waders when they're back in the house, in the garage. And then we were out and he said, hey, is this the same? Like, I'm just bull rushing through some, like, brush. And he's like... Hey, are you the same guy that just yelled at me for throwing your waders on the on the gravel down there? I said, <laughs> uh, maybe. maybe. So. Well, it's I had a really wet season. I think I was probably soaking wet through my waders or over top my waders with holes. I probably came home more times wet than I did dry this season. So I completely understand. I really do. I had um, an entire bag of uh, like fifty gallon super thick trash bags that I would just shove my feet into um, before I put my, my waders on. So I'd, I'd bundle up and then I'd throw a, a trash bag over each leg and then put my waders on. It was, it was, it was a rough season. That reminds me of growing up as a kid, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and um, I remember putting, you know, as kids, we had our waders, but we couldn't afford to get waders every season. So if there was a hole, well, those are still your waiters. We had bread bags at the time. We put our our feet in bread bags, and it went as kids. It went all the way up to our hips, so it will at least <laughs> keep us dry. Yeah, you know. And then the the nice thing about the neoprenes, even if the water gets in, it, it's still kind of warm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're it's you're not going to get hypothermia with neoprenes. At least most of the time, you won't have that problem. Yeah, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be super dry and and. Uh, Super warm. You just have to not be able to die while you're out there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Keep make sure the hypothermia doesn't get you. That's for sure. I was um, my buddies always made fun of me this season in my travels because the moment I check into a hotel, uh, do you have laundry facility? And they would always look at me like, you really have to have clean clothes nonstop. I'm like, no. I just want to make sure the odds are I'm going to come home wet. I just want to dry for tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you can only pack so many socks. You only can pack so much clothes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, what? what's your biggest uh, – what are some tips that you have for people that are going to be uh, traveling the country in chase of, uh, you know, of these ducks? Um, do your homework. Um, do your homework. Do your homework. Um, internet. Scavenge the internet. Um, chat with um, – uh, hunters, guys and gals from all over where you're going and get tips about the specific location and then read up on those locations. Make sure you double check the laws, um, getting your license. Um, I highly recommend um, planning in advance. I'm all about planning out, making sure that I have exactly the gear I'm going to need on me or in my truck or in my boat when I go somewhere. Um, there's nothing worse than being a travel hunt and get there and be like, I can't believe I didn't bring this and never even thought about it. Plan it out, pack it, make sure and do a checklist. Um, and then when you get there, you know, again, um, I'm, I'm big, a big fan of doing the license two weeks in advance and getting it mailed to me. Um, having to post buying it at the gas station. Exactly. Or depending on a Walmart here in Michigan, you know, Walmarts, they're all open 24 seven and none of the, sections closed down at 10 p.m. Well, you know, 
come to find out that's not how it works all across America, you know? Sure. Uh, Walmart shut down at 9 p.m. at some places, like in New York. It was a mess. Got there, and I didn't have a license in advance. And on Google, it was five and a half hours one way to the, the 24-hour Walmart to get your license. And you're sitting there going, really? Wow. Plan ahead. Buy your license ahead. Have it in person. Have a physical license when you get into a uh, state. Talk to your locals. Um, and scout, scout, scout. Yeah, absolutely. What about, uh, you know, running operations out of a hotel room? <laughs> well, you learn that when you check into um, a hotel room, be very, very nice. Okay. Because there's... Um, <laughs> You don't want to be kicked out the first day because you bring in muddy waiters and they go in to change your, you know, put fresh linen on the bed and they look at your blown up hotel room and, you know, they just want you out. Make sure you're nice out of the go. Leave tips. I leave tips every time I leave a hotel room for the for the maid, you know, like you don't want them to hate hunters. It's right. <laughs> Leave a tip, even t- 10 bucks, you know, for the extra mess you're going to make. Don't leave blood and feathers all over the bathroom or the sink. You know, um, try to clean up a little bit after yourself, but just above everything else, be nice when you check in. <laughs> yeah. How does, uh, how does one go about, uh, do you clean the birds, um, in the hotel room or out in the truck? I prefer not to have to bring it into the hotel room, but sometimes <laughs> when it's 30 degrees and there's no light and, you know, your headlamp's, you know, dead and you have to recharge it, I have brought them into the hotel room before and I clean them inside one trash bag and, you know, I've even cleaned them in the um, bathtub, you know, sometimes <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And then uh, what about uh, waiters? How does one go about, especially when you've got, uh, you know, wetty mutt waiters that are... Wetty, mud, muddy, wet waiters, um, both in and out. I you... stick them in a trash bag, and I literally go right to the bathtub with them and wash them on inside. I wash the whole outside, you know, and let it all go down the, the bathtub sink. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds interesting. <laughs> and then you always I... make sure to pick a, pick a hotel that's got a hot tub, right? Yeah. You know, I usually put that in the back of my mind. I get one that has a pool or a hot tub. But I kid you not, I'm so exhausted by the end of the hunt. I, I don't think, not a single time in all the hotels I stayed in this year, not one time did I use their steam room, hot tub, or swimming pool. Oh, man. I, yeah, well, you know, sometimes you got to go to bed at 7 p.m. Oh, yeah. 2, 2 a.m. And you're just exhausted. By the time you, just give me food. And I want a food and a shower and a bed. And by the time you get done with food, you're like, yeah, I'll shower tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, the ducks don't care if you smell. No. Nah. Your hunting buddies might, but yeah. Usually, I'm not the one that stinks near as bad, so I don't. It's it's usually my buddies. I'm like, oh man, well you know what? I've been there. It's fine. That's funny. That's funny. So, well, all right. So you said you got what is it? Four now? Four left? Uh, four ducks and the swan, and I'm done. So what happens when you get those? Uh, what you know? You know, I I've actually thought about that a few times. I guess I'm gonna have to go international. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. Now, um, are you registered with any groups that you do this, like validate it through, or anything like that, or are you just kind of doing take a, your own? I thing? take a picture with each bird that I I take, and more self gratification. I haven't registered um, anything. Um, I don't 
I don't personally need to do that. When I get it, I know I have it. You know, yeah. um, I take a picture of it, put it on the wall. If you know, if it's a Mount Worthy bird, and on to the next I go. Yeah, because I know there are some. I think there are some organizations that you like keep track of them through there, right? Yeah, they they give you a certificate and validate certain things. From what I understand, I've I've yet to do that. I don't like I said. I personally don't know. I don't need to do that. It's kind of right. like a band. Band. When I shoot a band, I call it in, and I don't need to put a certificate online saying, you know, where exactly I shot it from. You know, the self gratification of knowing I got it, it's mine, is all. Right. I'm... Right. Well, awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, you know talking to you again uh, as soon as you knock those last four off as well, um, and then you know telling us those stories, and then hopefully we can get out on a hunt with you, me, and Tony here in the upcoming future. Absolutely. Between the three of us, we have some really awesome hunting places to, to knock out. Um, yeah. We'll have to set something up and, and get her done here in the near future. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Well, if you ever uh, come down to Kansas or find yourself uh, in need of a uh, place to stay while you're down in Kansas, uh, just hit me up. Absolutely. And if you want to come up to Michigan and actually get a black duck for the wall, I'm, I'm sure I'd be happy to help you out. Yeah, that's something I might uh, want to take you up on. So There's nothing like getting a stud black duck for the wall, I kid you not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the range on those things, it's only what? I mean, four or 500 miles? Area that's that what it says. That's what it says. I'm actually, um, where I'm at in Michigan, it's not even really in the range. I just, I don't know why. They, um... You got a, I have a couple little. I have a couple little secret honey holes that you know I'll blindfold you and take your phone, but you'll have a good time. I promise you. <laughs> you know that's a good idea. I should probably start doing that. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you think you can trust people until you just can't trust people. So you just, you know, I'll take you out hunting. That's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your phone though. <laughs> you took Tony out. Uh, to get I his did. black duck, right? I did. Yeah, he came up um, from Nebraska. We first time we met, he drove up, and we had we only had thirty hours to hunt together. And I, you know, he got here, and I said, "Now listen, this can take all day, or we can get it done in fifteen minutes." And um, he got it done in fifteen minutes, and we actually um, got it done so fast. I called and phoned a buddy, and he hooked hooked us up with an old squaw hunt on Lake Michigan, and he went home with two studs, you know, the black duck that's and right. the old squaw. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that. I, I, he was telling me the story about how it was the second duck that came in. I think to the spread. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it was it happened it happened really quick. Um, we almost didn't have time to react, and I was in shock. You know, I knew it could be done. I've got, I've done it. Um, I had it planned out. It just happened to work out so fast um, that I was. He was like, "Are you all right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, um, are you all right? You just got your duck, man." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, I love Rick. it when a plan comes together because oh. sometimes you can plan and plan and weeks. You can go after for weeks and still not get make it happen. I've never been a targeter, you know, like, hey, I'm going out for this species. I've never tried that or done that. Um, I mean, I, we've been had some spots where we were fortunate that it was like, hey, we're not shooting any widgeon today. Or, hey, we're not shooting any teal today. You know, we're only shooting mallards or, or pennies or, uh, you know, gray ducks or things like that. But... Uh, Nothing where I'm specifically targeting a certain species, so that's it, definitely interesting for me. You you have to you have to be good with your eyes, and you have to be ready to because you just don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, you can assume all the birds that are coming in are not the species you want, and all of a sudden your gun's down, your safety's you know 
safety's on and oh my gosh, the one bird you're after is in the middle of the flock of whatever it is that you thought you weren't wanting, you know, like right. you have to be ready. Right. So, well, I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks a lot for, um, the interview and I look forward to hearing from you. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, this was very interesting and, um, it's, I, I can't wait. Uh, I, I really want to, if not go on that Harlequin hunt with you, um, I definitely want to hear for it, you know, uh, oh, for detail sure. by detail. Those are some sure. interesting birds. I'm I'm waiting for Tony to get done with um, some of his medical responsibilities to set up the Alaska trips. I can't believe, um, yeah, I can't believe they let that guy do those things. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, I always give him crap for that. But I feel bad. I feel horrible. And every time I get a bird that I know that he's been after for five or six years since he was a kid like myself, I almost feel guilty, you know, for sending him the text. <laughs> and then every once in a while, like, he only gets three or four days to hunt a whole season and then he sends me a picture of a lifetime in storm widgeon i don't feel bad anymore oh like, no, no absolutely see, not i got i got this and this and this don't not don't you you know it's kind of a game between the two of us that, that storm widgeon and then last year was it last year or two years ago where he shot that uh that pintail um Pintail mallard hybrid that was oh it was the redhead mallard hybrid oh yes. redhead mallard hybrid that's yeah. what it was no there's I've never met anyone that's as lucky as that sob I mean he honestly he gets the best of the best of the best like we all go out for old squads he gets the one with a fourteen inch tail I mean he just yeah he he gets the the storm widgeon he gets the gadwall with the purple head he gets the, the blue wing tail like I've never seen before even in pictures that he's the luckiest guy I've ever met and and all that on you know a, a tenth of the hunting days that you and I oh, probably put in absolutely four or five trips in, or four or five day trips in a, an entire season and he gets what we've been what i chase, chase after for five years so oh, yeah. and still don't get <laughs> good guy to go hunting with <laughs> absolutely absolutely so you can put your gun down there's no birds coming in oh yeah exactly exactly but all right well i suppose we ought to uh, go ahead and give her up here reed sounds great all right i appreciate everything you have a great night yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that Harlequin hunt. <laughs> Will do. Will do. All right. I'm working on booking it right now, actually. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm thinking of um, 20, 2020. 2020. 2020. I'll pencil it I'll, in. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to work it out. For sure. For sure. So, all right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate yep, it, man. and uh, you have a great night. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. I and mean, if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week.
Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither, but hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.